Hey, welcome to the Awesome Intelligence Podcast. Today, our guest is Mustafa Kadura. He earned his PhD from University of Minnesota in Mechanical Engineering, and he is working as a Senior Application Engineer in ANSYS, where he works on computational fluid dynamics. To do his research, he relies on Hamiltonian neural networks, which is a specific type of physics-informed neural network or PIN. Today, Mustafa will walk us through what is a physics-informed neural networks and how it relates to Hamiltonian neural networks and the idea of Graybox. So let's get into it. For that, Mustafa, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Uh, Hi, Dibanksha. Uh, thank you for the introduction. And I'm happy to be with you in this podcast. Awesome. So, uh, Mustafa, if you can uh, sort of give us an overview uh, of, uh, you know, what is an energy system uh, and what it, what it is made up of uh, and how do you define an energy system uh, and its uh, inner workings? Yeah, so energy system is any system that can generate, store or convert energy from one form into another. And uh, recently we have we are hearing a lot about energy systems because many governments and industries are working on the net zero emissions to reach zero carbon emissions, zero pollutants, and to reach a sustainable life. For that, we started hearing about uh, renewable energy, green energy. So these are energy systems. They include wind turbines, solar energy, uh, even uh, internal combustion engines are, are energy systems, but they generate some pollutants. And currently we are talking about also hydrogen combustion and like any system that can generate energy is an energy system. <laughs> and why do we care about, uh, you know, net zero carbon emission and why is it important to build this kind of uh, energy system that produce net zero carbon uh, uh, systems? Yeah, so I believe everyone on the globe have uh, seen some some kind of the global warming that we are seeing. We are having uh, like climate change in many countries, and that's because of the greenhouse effect. So traditional energy systems release carbon dioxide, which uh, which acts as a, a green effect, causing the the planet to heat up. For that, we are working on reducing these uh, emissions so that we have a sustainable environment to reduce emissions and all these good stuff. Awesome. Uh, I was reading one of your uh, chapters from uh, one of the publications, and it mentions that uh, you know an energy system has three components, modeling, optimization, and control. So if you can uh, discuss uh, those, uh, tell us about what is modeling, what is optimization, and what is a control system uh, to make an energy system, uh, that would be awesome. Yeah, so as engineers, we aim to develop and design efficient energy systems that can give us the, operate at the highest efficiency with minimal input. So to achieve this design, we need a model a model can predict the system performance. It can forecast the future. 
So using uh, a numerical model or a data-driven model, we can predict how the, our system will be behaving under different uh, operating conditions. So that's why modeling are important so that to reduce the amount of experimental testing, reduce the cost and reach the, the market faster and solve the problem before it happens. And after we have our, uh, our model and we want to design our system, we need to optimize the system. And by optimization, we mean to enhance the, the operation of that system to achieve the best performance with minimal cost. Uh, and after we, we have optimized our system, we want to put it, to, to deploy the system, to put it in action. And as it's operating, we need to control its operation to keep monitoring it, giving it commands, and maybe make it a smart system that can control itself to maintain the optimal operation status. Right. So that's, how, that's the process for uh, designing any energy, energy system. It starts by modeling and going to optimization and finally controlling it in real life to achieve the goal. Interesting. Uh, so if you if you think about uh, the modeling part, so uh, is it just like the mathematical representation? like uh, the inputs and the outputs that you're going to get from the uh, energy system. So just, uh, you know, just dealing, sort of making the equations, is that it? Or uh, in terms uh, of data-driven system, or is, is it different? True. So it's, uh, you can think about it as a digital twin, that we want a virtual twin or virtual representation of our physical system on our computers. And right. there are different approaches for that. We can use equations, and that's what we call physics-based equations. And we can use also data, which is now growing more and more, and use some machine learning approaches to represent our system. At the end, we need a model or a digital twin that can represent our physical system and can tell us what will happen in the future. That's wow. the main goal of modeling. What is a digital twin, by the way? Yeah, so recently you started hearing a lot about digital twinning. So as the name indicates, it's a digital twin. So you have a physical asset, you have a system, and you need a virtual twin for this asset on your computer. So let's say you have a factory, you have built a factory or a, a process, and we want a virtual representation, a virtual twin for this factory on my computer that will be operating in real time in parallel. And it will tell me what will happen in the future, how my system will operate, whether my system will fail, like yeah. it can be used for predictive maintenance and yeah. these purposes. Interesting. And you also talked about, you know, physics-based model and uh, data-driven model. Can you uh, sort of discuss a little bit about uh, the differences between them and like how do we use a physics-based model versus a data-driven model and when do we choose uh, which one? Okay, so physics-based model is the traditional approach which is based on physical equations that mm -hmm. represent and describe our system. Uh, Data-driven models are based on data collected from uh, either experiments or field measurements that reflect how the system will, will operate. Uh, in the past, we were relying mainly on physics-based models and like doing some physical equations like conservation of momentum and conservation of energy to represent our system. Right. 
recently in the last decades, machine learning have grew up in at a fast pace. And we were able to develop uh, machine learning approaches ba based on the data that we are collecting. And that's when we started hearing about uh, data-driven models. But both models have advantages and disadvantages. And it depends on what's available to you to, to choose which system or which model is, is best. Hmm. Do you have any advantage of using a data-driven model over a physics-based model? Yes. <laughs> Let me first tell you what's the advantage of the physics-based model. Yeah. It's uh, the physics-based model is based on uh, physical governing equations. So it gives me more information about my system. And it's usually yeah. a 3D representation of the system. So I can, I can get a lot of details. However, the, the disadvantage of physics-based model is that they are computationally expensive. They need long time to run, so I can't use them in, in real time. And also they are based on uh, several assumptions which are like idealistic assumptions. So mm -hmm. they don't necessarily reflect the uncertainty that we will see in the, in the field. Right. In the, and here comes the advantage of the data-driven models because we are building our model out of uh, data, real data. So yeah. these data will include the uncertainties and the, the real operation of the system. And right. also since we have a, a trained model, a trained machine learning model, it's very efficient to run it. So we can run it in real time. We can use it yeah. for real time uh, control of our system. And here comes the, the advantage. However, there is also a disadvantage for data-driven models because they are limited by the observed uh, physics. So yes. they, in many cases, they fail outside the, the data that they are trained on it. Yeah. Advantage and disadvantage for these two. Yeah, that is really interesting. And uh, it sort of uh, is also mentioned in, in your paper as well. And I was trying to think about why a physics-based model would be really slow. I'm guessing, and uh, it's not a bad guess, I know that because I have worked in the uh, industry 4.0 settings as well. So did, and, and I worked with data-driven system and the equations, the governing equations uh, were all non-linear. And yeah. how you wanna approximate the non-linearity uh, depends on how complex you want the system to be. I'm guessing the same principle goes for your use case as well, right? Correct. That's that's completely correct. So I do uh, fluid mechanics, computational fluid mechanics, right. and the physics governing equation for fluid flow is called Navier-Stokes, which is highly yeah. nonlinear equation. So yes. we don't have analytical solution for that. For this, yeah. we use uh, numerical solutions, which we right. call them like finite volume method or finite difference method to solve right. this and to overcome this uh, nonlinearity. So we reach out right. to a numerical solution, which is an approximation. It's not an exact solution, but it's uh, good enough for engineers to design system. And these solutions are uh, very expensive. Some of them can take days to simulate a system. 
recently we are doing uh, improvement for the computational hardware. So now we started hearing about the GPUs, which can yeah. reduce the computational time like by factor of five. However, it's still it's still uh, still expensive simulation, especially mm -hmm. if I want to control like a drone, for example, yeah. or control a self-driving car. We need something that can run in in seconds, not in hours. Yeah, that's the limitation. So, of physics. so you cannot so you cannot make a real time uh, uh, system using a physics based model because the computational time is uh, too high. Why? Why is that? I'm trying to understand why the computational time for a physics-based model is so much. Is that? Is it because there are so many nonlinear equations involved in the system that it takes a long time to solve those uh, high polynomial equations? Is that the reason? Correct. So if I want to simulate a, a fluid domain, I will discretize right. this domain into small elements. Right. Which we, we call like generating a mesh. So right. my mesh can be maybe one million element. So I will right. be solving a million equation for each iteration. Right. So that's computations. So the advantage of that, that I will get uh, a lot of information out of this yes. small lot of details, but in some applications, it's not not good thing for that. Interesting. So, On, sorry. Yeah, I can give you an example just to understand what's the difference between a physics-based model and a data-driven model. Let's yes, say yes. I'm simulating a, a solar panel, a photovoltaic yes. panel. If I will do it using physics-based equation, I will get a lot of information. I can get the temperature distribution. I can get the thermal stresses. I can get the effect of the wind, of the operating conditions, the produced power. Everything can be predicted from the physics-based model. However, yeah. if I build a data-driven model, it will just takes the, the solar irradiation and wind speed as input, and it will just tell me the produced power. So it takes less right. inputs and give me less outputs. So if I am just interested in, in specific output, data-driven models are good. But if I want to study the system at all levels, then I need to go for detailed physics-based models. Wow. Yeah, that is uh, an awesome example. I love that. Uh, also, in the paper, uh, you mentioned uh, something that caught my eye and I uh, sort of, uh, I, I, it stuck to me so much that I uh, thought I'd ask you this. So it says uh, that sometimes uh, when you run a data-driven model, because uh, it's driven by data and some, and you don't know what kind of data you are uh, curating, sometimes it can reveal some new physics. Like, is that true? It, did it happen? Yes, yes. So uh, data-driven models get data from the, the experiments, from real yeah. life, and it's able to recognize some patterns and relations inside this data. Yeah. For that, we can sometimes we can observe a new trend that we didn't know about, and it can be related to undiscovered physics. Also, wow. based on the patterns observed in the data, we can formulate a new hypothesis and we start uh, studying it. Also, sometimes we can use it to refine our models, like to, yeah. to correct what we already have, the equations that we already have. So it can sometimes can <laughs> reveal some unknown physics out of data, 
but right. we need to have high quality data and enough amount of this data right. to review the physics. Wow, that is that is amazing. Uh, I it never occurred to me. Uh, so it's really nice to see that it is possible to sort of discover new trends of physics just by you know. I I think of machine learning as a pattern recognition uh, model because that's all it is. Looks for patterns that matches some sort of forms. And uh, it's crazy to think about uh, the fact that uh, just by understanding these new patterns, you can hypothesize uh, new uh, ideas about physics, which is uh, really interesting to me. Correct. It's like you have another brain thinking with you. So it's your right. brain and your brain both collaborating to right. understand the physics. Right. So now, uh... The uh, I was going through some of the ideas of uh, you know physics based by da versus data driven and there's this uh, there's certain uh, words in the literature that I uh, sort of uh, when I scoured through uh, the literature that I could found find in, in the limited time that uh, so the literature for the the word for uh, the physics based model is a white box and the data-driven model is black box because you are not getting enough inference out of uh, the data-driven model. Whereas in the physics-based uh, model, uh, it's a white box because you have a lot of inference, even though you are losing the computational time, uh, but uh, the uh, number of inference you are getting a lot is a lot more. And what's funny is that in the middle, uh, they talk about a gray box, which is sort of the yeah. good of the both oh. worlds. So talk to me about uh, this gray box idea. Yeah. So as you mentioned, we have the, the physics, which uh, the physics-based models, which are white box, because it's transparent. We are using clear equations. And we have the black box, which we just have data. We don't know anything about it. So yeah. if we mix them together in the middle, we will get the, the gray box. And sometimes we call it physics-informed neural networks. So it's a neural networks that are informed by physics in which we we add to the training some uh, physical constraints mm. to, to respect the physics behind it. Because usually if you just try to predict the, the performance based on data, you will miss or you will not be respecting the physics. Yeah. But adding some physical constraints and physical loads to your, uh, to your model and to your data will make your model uh, more realistic. It will be yeah. combining field data along with physics that we know. <laughs> and there is a lot of work going in this uh, this area recently. Interesting. So it's physics-informed neural networks. That's the uh, idea, sort of uh, the best of the both worlds of white right. box and the black box. Interesting. Uh, so is it like, you put some constraints on the mm -hmm. neural network during the training process. Is that the idea of a, of a physics-informed neural network? It can be like that. And also, we can use data to solve the physics equations. So right. instead of going through the, the integration and the traditional method for solving the equations, we will be using data for doing that. So in this way, we have the marriage of... Uh, our traditional equations and our, oh, our data. So that's what we have. We call it a neural differential equation, like neural yeah. PDEs or neural ODEs. Like right. Instead of doing the traditional integration, we do right. it. We let the data do that. 
Awesome. So basically the optimization is done uh, by a neural network as opposed to uh, a numerical solver. Exactly. Interesting. <laughs> exactly. Uh, your expertise is in Hamiltonian neural network. But before we jump in, jump into that, what is Hamiltonian system and what is Hamiltonian equation? Okay, okay. So that I will go back to the 19th century. So awesome. we had a scientist, a famous scientist called uh, William Hamilton. Hmm. And he introduced a new scalar function and he called it the Hamiltonian based yeah. because of him. And it re represents the total energy of the system, which is hmm. the kinetic energy and the potential energy. And what's interesting, if you differentiate this function, you will get the position of the system and the momentum of the system, which describes the system state. Yeah. And then after him, we started talking about Hamiltonian mechanics, which is like a new era of physics after the classical physics. Yeah. That's all in the 19th century. But like three years ago, there were uh, three researchers uh, they they were inspired from this Hamiltonian mechanics. And in 2019, they published a new method. They call it Hamiltonian neural network, which is inspired from the Hamiltonian mechanics. So in Hamiltonian neural network, they, instead of directly predicting the, the new state of the system, we are predicting the Hamiltonian. We are predicting the total energy of the system. Right. And we are training, uh, training our system and optimizing our, our neural network based on the Hamiltonian. And the reason for that, because most physical systems are based on conservation of energy equation mm. and conservation of momentum. Yep. Traditional, traditional approaches fail to, to conserve this energy or fail to respect the physics. Mm. For that, they said we will put uh, like an intermediate step. We will we will predict the Hamiltonian, which is the energy. Then we, after that, we will predict the new state of the system. So implicitly, we have conserved the energy or teach our neural network to conserve the energy. That's the idea behind it. Wow! And is that, and that's how the Hamiltonian uh, neural network sort of comes in. Correct. And how do you put the constraints on the Hamiltonian neural network then? Okay, so the constraints comes in the in the lot function. So in the traditional neural network, we give it inputs like which is the momentum and position, and mm -hmm. the loss function we compare the the inputs which are the data to our targets. Yeah. So we are directly comparing the state of the system, the input yeah. and the target. In the Hamiltonian neural network, we take the momentum and position and we try to estimate the Hamiltonian, which is the total energy of the system. Then we differentiate this Hamiltonian and we we train our system based on the differentiate differentiated function. Yeah. So this in this way, the neural network will learn how to conserve energy because it's looking at the energy itself, not looking at the at the state. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Interesting. So what I understood uh, from uh, uh, the video that you posted on LinkedIn uh, as well, and I did some research on my own, and I what I found is that instead of, like you said, uh, defining the loss function with input and output, like the traditional neural network, 
you sort of parameterize the Hamiltonian equation uh, and then you optimize uh, the differentiation of the uh, Hamiltonian uh, function with respect to the parameter, right? Correct. And why do you do that? Like uh, what benefit that does it give you? Yeah, so that's the advantage of the of the concept of Hamiltonian that if you differentiate the Hamiltonian function, you will get the position and the momentum. So instead of directly uh, predicting the position and momentum, we try to predict the, the differentiated Hamiltonian. So we are bringing the, the total energy into the training process. Hmm. So we have like two steps. We first predict H, which is the Hamiltonian. We get the ingredient of the neural network. Then we do the optimization. Right. It's like having a step in the middle that makes our neural network to respect the conservation of energy. Like we are guiding. There is energy here that you need to take care of. Don't care right. just about the, the new state. Care also about the energy. Right. And it's a, a very new trend. It's just like three, four years old. And many researchers started looking at it, at it because it's giving a very promising results. Awesome. Uh, where can you use this uh, Hamiltonian system? Uh, like to what kind of, uh, how, what kind of problems do you solve with Hamiltonian uh, neural network? If you can give me some examples of that. True. So currently the work is limited to motion planning. Like when you have a dynamic system, let's say a drone or self-driving self car, uh, these systems are based on kinematics load and conservation of energy loads. For that, we want a, a neural network that can uh, respect this physics. And mainly we are using it for motion planning for these, uh, for these robots or for, for these vehicles. Because in using traditional uh, neural networks, uh, the solution that we are getting is devi deviating from the true dynamics because it's not learning the, the conservation laws, the physics load. But by incorporating the, the, the Hamiltonian in our training, we are getting better uh, motion planning. Mm -hmm. So that's where the, the work is, is mainly focused on that. And we have right. some interesting companies like Honda is looking at Hamiltonian neural network for their cars. We have also Google looking at that. So a lot of people are looking at it from uh, dynamic system modeling. That's the dynamic. correct step. Interesting to control drones. And so basically it's motion planning for uh, self-driving cars, robots, and uh, drones, and uh, all that. Uh, why are we using that for a motion planning? Uh, like, uh, what is the reason for applying Hamiltonian in those applications? Yep. So as, as I'm, I was uh, saying that in the past, we were based, we were focusing on the physics equations, but these equations like oversimplify the system. So mm -hmm. we end up by a model that doesn't reflect the, the physics that's happening. It's very simplified. Then in the last couple of decades, we started looking at the traditional neural networks, which is the black box. And this, the model that we were obtaining was deviating from the re, the true dynamics. So mm -hmm. if we do the experiment, like we make the drone to go through a path, it will not follow the path that we wanted to, to follow to follow it. For that, we recently started looking at that by incorporating this Hamiltonian neural network. 
to get a more predictive model and the applications for having uh, an accurate planning is like are very numerous we want our robots to follow uh, our instructions right so that's uh, yeah that's the current state but why i am looking at that what's mm -hmm. the reason yeah. i'm looking yeah. at how much money neural networks so my background is mainly in fluid mechanics and all what i do is cfd computational fluid dynamics yeah. and governing equations for cfd are conservation of momentum and conservation of energy that's all for that we are we are like predicting that hamiltonian neural network can be expanded from dynamic systems to the continuum mechanic mechanics uh, regime so we are thinking oh, can we, uh, yeah can we use hamiltonian neural network to predict the motion of the fluid so when you are talking about a drone you are talking about solid body like <laughs> a set of solid bodies but when it comes to fluid mechanics, it's a little more uh, challenging because like, it's very difficult to predict the motion of fluid. However, yes. all what we care about is the conservation of momentum and conservation of energy to predict yes. the new position of the fluid. Yeah. And that's why uh, Hamiltonian neural network is interesting for fluid mechanics. And that's why I am doing some research on that to see can we, can we expand the current... Uh, state of art to fluid mechanics and using for our systems we we will see wow what do you even give the hamiltonian neural network as input for this uh, to apply it into fluid dynamics yeah so currently uh, i don't have a solid answer for that i can tell you what what we are giving it for uh, predicting the motion of let's say a drone we just give it the, the position and the momentum. So we give it okay. a set initial state, different initial state, yeah. and we use the H and N to predict the, the trajectory. And we compare the predicted okay. trajectory to the real trajectory that we have in the in the experiment. Interesting. Uh, I'm not sure if you have look in, looked into it, but I, well, from what I understand, uh, the current state of the art for motion planning is probably reinforcement learning. And mm -hmm. I don't know if uh, you can incorporate uh, reinforcement learning uh, with uh, Hamiltonian neural network, whether it's possible or not. But uh, like, do you know whether they compare with each other or like, is, the, is there any relationship between these two systems? Because I'm not familiar with the math of uh, Hamiltonian that much. Yeah, I think it can, it can be. So we can do like levels of, uh, of training. Like we can have a, a shell having the Hamiltonian neural network that will guarantee that the energy is conserved. Then we have different shells of other models that yeah. guarantee other quantities are being satisfied. Yeah. So yeah, like in the couple two years, I was looking at something called a learning predictive model, which mm -hmm. used for motion planning. Like we want the, our robot to to learn in in real time, and mm -hmm. learn from previous historical data. And here's the reinforced uh, neural network or learning was being used, but very recently they started talking about like what what about having this Hamiltonian neural network. And uh, yeah, it can be, they can be incorporated together, mm. but it's just like a very new idea. Like a lot of people are doing research on that and 
we are waiting to see the magic that we will get out of this. That is amazing. Uh, because, uh, you know, the data-driven model is sort of the backbone of industry 4.0, I guess. Uh, what's, what is your thought on industry 4.0? And do you see, because uh, now there is a lot of talk uh, about industry 5.0 as well in uh, Europe and here in Canada, uh, in especially in uh, University of British Columbia, uh, the Department of Material Science and Mechanical Engineering uh, is actively looking into uh, Industry 5.0, which is the combination of data-driven system. And so it's basically the sustainable data-driven system so that uh, AI doesn't replace human workers completely. So what's your thought on, uh, you know, Industry 4.0? And uh, do you see any change in the, in the United States towards uh, Industry 5.0? Yeah, so currently, like all, all industries in the, in the U.S. started talking about incorporating uh, AI and generative AI yeah. into their, into their uh, planning. Yeah. So we are no more looking at like a pure modeling. We started looking at how AI can uh, enhance our model, make mm -hmm. it faster, make it more more predictive. Yes. All people are, are looking at this. Yeah. So it's going very fast, and uh, yeah, things are changing very very quickly. And the results so, are pretty good. Right. I mean, right. Uh, the data-driven model, uh, the outputs from a data-driven model are really stunning. Correct. 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 So now we have the chat GPT and these similar models that can, you can talk to them and they can tell you what to do. And correct. these are based on language, on uh, natural language processing. And what we are doing from engineering point of view, if, if, uh, if a machine can understand language, then how can we use its power for modeling our systems and yeah. having more predictive models for, for our systems? Yeah, 100%. And, I, I mean, even though language models uh, learn language, uh, in the back end, you have a transformer. And basically, you can use a transformer to train anything, starting from a language to an image to maybe a sequence of uh, instructions, right? right. So uh, you can use a transformer to generate uh, motion planning for a fluid as well, uh, theoretically, right. theoretically speaking. Correct, correct, correct. We believe that's that's will come and that will be happening in the future, but uh, we are still working with that, like doing a lot of research to to achieve to this point. But I believe it's coming. It's it might be a couple of years, five years, but for sure it's it's coming. That is uh, amazing. And uh, uh, just uh, to shift gears a little bit, because uh, we have talked about all the technical uh, stuff and we still have a little bit of time left uh, in our hands. Uh, tell me about your journey. Uh, you know, uh, where did you grow up and how did you end up in the United States and how was it like throughout this uh, journey? Yeah, yeah. So, I am. Um, I was grew up in Lebanon, 
originally I am Palestinian, but I grew up in Lebanon. I did my uh, my undergrad and masters in Beirut, and then I I decided to to improve, like to work more, do more research. For that, I decided to come to here to University of Minnesota, and the reason for choosing Minnesota because like two of my books that I was using in my masters was authored here at U of M. That's why the the motivation. So I then jumped into U of M and I did my PhD and it's a it's a great place. And uh, directly after that, I joined Ansys. So Ansys is the, like the industry leading simulation software. And in the past, it was focused on physics based modeling. But recently, we started looking into the the data driven approaches and how to get this marriage between data and physics. Perfect. And we started talking about the digital twins. And that's what I'm doing currently with them. So awesome. we're trying to capture the power of AI in our simulations to get uh, better sol industry solutions. Wow, uh, that is that is really <laughs> interesting. Uh, because uh, the application of uh, uh, computational fluid dynamics uh, is not only just, uh, you know, uh, the oiling industry, uh, there, there are some applications in uh, uh, film industry mm -hmm. as well, believe it or not. Right. Because right. Uh, right. recently I was working at a film studio. So yeah. uh, the application of uh, fluid dynamics uh, is, or, or fire and smoke, that is another really big application of uh, uh, dynamics uh, in yeah. using AI in CGI, it's massive. Yeah, yeah. Have you watched Moana? I have, yeah. By Disney. Yes. So all water splashing in Moana yes. are PFD simulations. So we are yes. no more drawing the water splash. It's, we are simulating it. So we are seeing the real, real splashing patterns yeah. in the movie, in the cartoon animation. Yes. And that's very exciting to me as well. Yeah, and things are... Uh, looking pretty good, uh, although it's computationally really heavy. Uh, yeah. I do know some people on uh, LinkedIn, and I'm hoping to interview them as well, who are focused on the simulation of uh, fluids of a certain type, and that's the only thing they do. And yeah. uh, uh, because I think there is a huge application of uh, fluid dynamics in uh a lot of uh, other spaces that you probably traditionally wouldn't think about. Right, right. That's true. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, talk to me about how you got into powerlifting and bodybuilding. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I I was an athlete since like early age, and awesome. uh, during my under uh, undergrad at Beirut Arab University, mm. uh, I started to to take this uh, more seriously, take powerlifting and bodybuilding more seriously and I have competed twice at the level of the university and at the level at the country level and actually bodybuilding have contributed to my to my career I have 100% agree with that. that yeah so in bodybuilding or in sports in general you learn to be dedicated and you learn that each goal needs to have a, a specific training program and a specific uh, timeline to achieve yes. your goal 
or if you want to build a muscle or if you want to get a specific shred in your muscle, there is a yeah. way of doing that. It's not magic. You need yeah. to learn then to apply what you have learned. And that's actually have contributed for my uh, for my career. So now I know that every goal I want to achieve, I need to have a, a clear plan and I need to be realistic to have a timeline for for my goal to to happen. It did not happen in a day and night. So that was a, a lesson I learned from bodybuilding. Actually, also bodybuilding have contributed to my presentation skills because you know bodybuilding is a show sport. So if you want to win a show, you need to be confident. You need to impress the people in front of you. It's a show. And that's what we do every time we publish a new paper or propose a new research method. It's like uh, going into a show. You need to present it to people, to present it to the experts, and you need to convince them. You need to, to make them impressed. So it's like a, a show. And that's something also I, I learned a lot in, in through bodybuilding. For that, I, I always encourage young students to get some extracurricular activities. It can be sports, can be anything else. But yeah. getting these extracurricular activities and sports and competitions, they are part of building their career. So your yeah. career is only built inside the, the classroom and in lectures. There are other skills in parallel that you need also to work on to to get the most of yourself to be the best the, the best version of yourself that's why I, I always encourage like every time i see a, a new student i encourage them to to do sports to to do arts do what they want to do because that will make them dedicated and that will be an early exposure to life to real life like how to achieve the goals that is brilliant really really well said uh, i think uh, bodybuilding teaches you uh, discipline it teaches you uh, self control and uh, and like you said planning which is as you and i both know a prep a competition prep takes uh, probably 20 to 24 months okay. sorry uh, 24 weeks uh, at least yes. so it's Three a months. Yeah, so six months of uh, prep, and then uh, you have to plan how you're going to get into the prep. And so, you need to be patient and to go through failure and success to, right. to achieve what you want. And that's life, actually. But you are right. you are testing life at small things, like yeah. at sports. Things that it's good to learn there. Yeah, 100%. That is uh, really well put. Awesome. Uh, that's all the question I have, uh, Mustafa. Do you want to leave us with some parting thoughts before we end the podcast? Some thoughts about... <laughs> uh, I'm looking, I'm actually like everyone, I'm very interested to see where the generative AI will take us. And I'm looking for having more sustainable communities hmm. and more sustainable industries so that we maintain our environment and maintain our health. And it was a pleasure to, to talk to you and be Same. in your podcast. Thank you very much for the invitation for that. Thank you so much, Mustafa. Awesome. So with that, we are going to end our podcast now. Uh, please follow uh, us on uh, Spotify, Apple, Google, and YouTube. And Thank you, Mustafa, for joining the podcast. I'll you see you guys on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.